Alright, so we move to this new chapter of the church. Actually, it's um, very much in line with what we just had recently. We had the family seminar on the church family. Then we had um, baptisms, um, joining membership, infant baptisms, joining non-communicant membership, transfer of membership, affirmation of faith, all becoming part of God's church family here. So, thank God for the timing. Now, let's go through point um, 25.1. 25.1. Now, let's read together. The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one, under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now here we have the Westminster Divines defining the Catholic Church. Right, the Catholic Church. Now, um, if you look at your question, let's try and follow along. Now, what is the meaning of the word Catholic and the word Church? All right, the word Catholic and the word Church. Now we've got to understand this first and then or rather let's look at scripture first all right why don't we look at scriptures and then we get some understanding why they call it the universal or the catholic church now turn to ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 okay shall we read together that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Okay, so here is God gathering all under heaven, right? On earth. So all under heaven, on earth, will be gathered together. Gathered together. Now, um, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 as well. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 and 23 together. Hebrews 12. 22 and 23, 1, 2, reading. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So here we have the word to the general Assembly, the general assembly, again referring to the gathering of people. So God says there is a gathering of people under heaven, under in on earth, which are in uh, those that which are in heaven and on earth, and they are in Christ. All right, they are in Christ. So this gathering of people from all over the world in Christ. In Hebrews, God calls it the general assembly. In other words, the General Assembly and Church. Right? So, 
church is the gathering of um, people both in heaven, on earth, in Christ. So that is church. But why do they call it Catholic? All right, what's the meaning of Catholic? What's the meaning of Catholic? Um, the word Catholic in Greek is simply referring to universal, right? Covering across, uh, encompassing, okay? Universal. That's why in point number one, they say the Catholic or universal church, right? The Catholic or universal church. So it's a gathering of people universally, right? Universally. And what about the word church? Right, we read, we read the word church just now. Now, in the Bible, the word church is ecclesia, or English, we always say ecclesiastical, right? It has to do with church, ecclesiastical, from the Greek word ecclesia. Um, I've always said this, ek is out, like exit, exit, ek is out. Um, ecclesia called the called out, kaleo is called. So it is about the called out ones, the called out people. Right? So, God uses the word in Greek to say, church means called out people. And when, you, when we read those verses, God called out people universally, means across the world. All right? Across the world, uh, globally. And we also read both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in Christ. So, called out into Christ. So this group of gathering of people called out into Christ are called church, church people. Now, if you look at the Westminster, they are very accurate. Um, it says it consists of whole number of elect that have been, have been, are, or shall be gathered into one. Are they accurate? Very accurate, according to Ephesians 1.10. Who have been, have been means those have died, right? The believers who have died, where are they? In heaven, correct? That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, we read, um, God called out together, He gathered in all, God called out in one, all things in Christ, including people, both in heaven, means those in the past, those are on earth now, and those that are to come to be saved. So, this gathering is called church. It's called universe, it's called Catholic, because it's called, it is Universal. It is universal. So we must always remember when we say Bible Presbyterian Church of Western Australia, the first thing that comes to our mind must be it is a gathering of called out people. Called out. Okay, I am a called out person. If I'm a church person, I'm a called out one. Called out by who? Called out by God. Called out into who? Called out into Christ. That's why it's a Christian church. We don't call it simply any church, but it's a Christian church in Christ. Now, next one. Um, actually, at this point, um, there is a concept that is lost today, that is rarely talked about, but is actually all over scriptures. But Christians <clears throat> have lost this um, concept because I think more and more, uh, uh, people have baptistic concepts of being a Christian. But when you see from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the concept of, we've mentioned the covenant is very clear. We, we, we saw that. 
is very, very clear. God, even by His name, has a covenantal name. All right? And He constantly used the word in the Old Testament, covenant, covenant, all the time. Our Bible is called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? Old Testament, New Testament. So God is a covenantal God. That's why the Reformed faith is a very accurate faith. Um, what is lost in the understanding of the Reformed faith is also church. What is church? Why did I take some time to emphasize it is called out people, called out people, called out people? Because the covenant has to do with God in a relationship with His people. I emphasize again. The covenant is about God being in a relationship with a people, His people. So when we talk about church, we must always see that concept. Now let's turn to, let's trace this from the Old Testament all the way to Revelation. And see, God never changed this concept. It's lost because people have lost the understanding of the Reformed faith. All right? So let's trace God talking about church. Now, let's turn to um, Deuteronomy 29.13. Right? This is not in the notes in there, so you, have one, you want to write down additional Bible verses. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 13. Um, okay. Actually, put a bookmark there. I, I think it's best to start right from the beginning. Um, Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Now here God enters into covenant with Abraham, <clears throat> continuing the covenant of grace. Exodus chapter 17. Oh, my mistake, sorry. Genesis 17, I meant. Genesis 17. <clears throat> now here Abraham at this stage was not God's, um, did not belong to God, right? So God had to call him. God had to call him. And in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 2, God says to Abraham, so Abraham is not God's people yet, and I will make my covenant between me and you. <clears throat> Alright, so he says, now begins a covenant between you and me. And I will multiply thee exceedingly. Now why does he talk about multiplication? In, he's going to now mention about people, okay? God is not just a covenantal God with Abraham. He's a covenantal God with a people. Now, then you get um, further down in verse 7. Alright, shall we read verse 7 together? And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and thy seed after thee. So, when God says, I call out a people, all right, we know from here, there is going to be Israel, right? A called out people. When God started that, He said, I will be, verse 7, I will, in this covenant, I will be a God to you, to stop, no, and to your seed after you. So it's going to be about, God say, I will be a God to you and your people. That's why in verse 9, He emphasized again, and God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generation 
again and again he emphasized I'm choosing a group of people and they are going to come from your loins Abraham understand so this is how it begin this is how it begin and then you turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 13 so understand what church is rightly Deuteronomy 29 verse 13 shall we read together that that he may establish thee a day for a people unto himself and that he may be unto thee a God as he had said unto thee as he had sworn unto thy fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob so now maybe drawing always helps here God enters into God entered into covenant with Abraham all right covenants with Abraham and the purpose of this covenant what did we say he said why am I entering a covenant with you he said I will be a God to you and your future generation right I'll be a God to you and he says in Deuteronomy chapter 29 it becomes clearer God says I will be a God to you what is he implying you will be be a people to me I will be a God to you you will be a people to me now from here he will mention Abraham Isaac and Jacob correct now not any other people Abraham is going to have other children Isaac other children Jacob other children it's going to be a very specific line down Jacob is going to now have why did he not stop why did he stop at Jacob because out of Jacob going to be the 12 tribes right 12 tribes out of the 12 tribes from Israel correct from Israel Israel will be God's people correct so right from Abraham in this beginning in Genesis God says I am calling out of people you just trace the beginning of Israel just begin trade beginning of Israel very specific people okay not down here to someone else specifically Israel Israel so Jacob will be called Israel right Jacob's name will be changed to Israel hmm? now um, this is what answer later but I need to bring it up now what does God call Israel the moment Israel was formed born out of the womb of um, the womb of Egypt right just to jog your memory now God intend to give birth to a people okay give birth to a people and in order for these people to be given birth God will bring them into Egypt in Egypt they will grow right you did Exodus they will grow rapidly and then when okay this is this is Israel this is Egypt down here, much further down here Egypt came out God delivered them it's literally like give birth all right give birth and God is going to bring the 12 God is going to be bring all the people actually the whole group of people um, into into Israel into into Israel okay the promised land or rather we call it the promised land God is going to do that now when they were wandering in the wilderness on their way to becoming a nation what did God call them anyone what did call what did God refer to these people in the wilderness 
my people okay so yes he was always my people good and he had he referred to them as something say again huh ah Oh, army. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was speaking Mandarin. Alright, army. Okay, army. Army, yes. What else? It's so, so, it's so obvious the clue. Say again. The children of Israel. So, he, so you see, it's my people. They're out of the children of Israel. They are army of people. Very good. Army is very good because I'll, I'll mention something after. What did he call them? Phoebe. Do you remember in Exodus? What did God call his people in the wilderness? No one. Say again. Very good. The church. Do you realize that God called his people the church in the Old Testament? Now let's turn to um, Acts chapter 7 verse 38. Acts chapter 7 verse 38. Hey, it's so obvious, right? We are doing the church. <laughs> Acts chapter 7, verse 38. What, does, what was in God's mind when he looked at his people? Okay, Acts 7, 38. <clears throat> okay, 1, 2, reading. This is he that was in the church, in the wilderness, with the angel we spake to him in the Mount Sinai. He gave unto us. Now, when God's people, the children of Israel, this army in the wilderness that receive God's word, when they receive God's word, God called them the church in the wilderness. God's people, he always referred to my church, my called out people all right so how so we just seen in the old testament that god called them my people and got them god called them my church now in the new testament is this church and his people concept still prevalent very very all right let's turn to galatians 3 29 galatians 3 29 Okay, let's read Galatians 3, um, 29, reading. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So, look here. Different color. When God made a promise, a covenant with Abraham, was he only making a covenant with Israel's children? was he now he mentioned already it will be to all nations correct it's to all nations but in the new testament this concept even with the people is fading especially the gentiles to the gentiles in their mind is god's people is always who the jews they always thought god's people are the other jews right <clears throat> 
So when the Gentiles got saved, Paul had to teach all of them. In fact, we will read in Ephesians, God even had to teach the Jews that the Gentiles are God's people. But to them, no, God made a, made a covenant with Abraham. But Abraham was not the Jew then, we knew, right? So here, the emphasis is, look at verse 28. Uh, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither born nor free, there is neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ. Just now, what did we read in Ephesians? That he will gather in one, all. So God says, I will gather all, Jews or Gentiles, all, in one. And he says this, and if he be Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, dear Gentile, if you are a believer in Christ, referring to us, Gentiles, then you are Abraham's seed too. So God is saying that Christians who truly believe in God, in Christ, you are actually Abraham's seed. Understand? So you may not trace your your lineage to Israel, the 12 tribes, which none of us, I think, will ever. But he say, you are gathered in Christ. You are gathered in Christ. Now, so what else? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Now, I really hope as Bible Presbyterian Church, we understand this concept very clearly. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, let's read from verses 9 to, um, sorry, let's read, yeah, yeah, 9 to 10 together, 9 to 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath what called you out of darkness into his marvelous light verse 10 the emphasis which in time past were not a people but now the people of god which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy do you understand when god reveals the understanding of god's people from the old testament to the new testament look please look at your bible in the past you were not a people verse 9 he said but now you are a chosen generation see he talks about generation again about a people that will go on and on a generation he's talking about people and then he says a priesthood a holy nation now a peculiar people again he used the word people now what are these people look at verse 9 you are called out he called you out to be his people so what is this trying to tell us the gentiles you and i we are in we are Abraham's seed also in Christ. And we are actually called out. Let me highlight. We are actually called out people. Just like the Jews were called out people. Just like the Jews were a church. The Gentiles church now is the same. The concept is the same because of the covenant. Understand? So we must not um, lose that understanding. And I'll ask, explain why afterwards. Now verse 10. Here he repeats again and again. What is, who are we? The called out people that are in the church. Verse 10 he says, In time past you were not a people, but now the people of God. So how do you view ourselves in relation to God? We are his people. When we say church, we are God's called out 
people. All right? Now, so, does this end here? Is this just going to be now? Now, please turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3. Okay, one, two, reading. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, you just read the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And you just read the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Does this, does this concept of what he told Abraham change? It never changed. Even in Revelation, it's the same. Look at Revelation 21, verse 3 very carefully. Now, he's... Uh, Re Revelation 21, verse 3. Now, he says, God will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be with them, be their God. What did God say, say to Abraham? What did God say to the children of Israel? Exactly the same thing. So... Christians, why is this concept very important? Yeah, it's nice and good to know a universal church, um, local church, and all those things. But how does it impact how we view ourselves in relation to the church? We are a people in church. Okay? Now, when we talk about people, what do you think about? Maybe I ask um, Jason. When you say a people, all right? So you think in history. When we talk about a people, what, what comes to mind about characteristic of a people? Say again. Uh, can't hear. A congregation. A congregation. Uh, yes, okay. So, but um, I'm talking about characteristics. Um, maybe let's talk about the Jews as a people. The Jews as a people. What what do you what comes to your mind of them as a people? No, like current today, today, the Jews. Okay, not very into history. Anyone into history? Say again. Are the Jews holy now? They are unholy. They're not, they're not, they don't believe in Christ. What, do you, what, do you come, what comes to your mind, Colin? Nothing. Okay, no one likes history. We'll come to it afterwards. But keep in mind, God talked about His covenant of grace in a covenant with people. He looks at you and I as His, his people. Okay? I don't know how strong, I think it's a lost concept, even when I say that. Maybe in Mandarin it's stronger. Okay, okay, China. <coughs> when you think of China as a China people, as a people, what comes to your heart when you think about Chinese people? They cook good food. <laughs> See, they're very hardworking. Okay, um, 
Okay, we'll come to it afterwards. Because when you understand this concept, you will then begin to understand what God talks about, why God says those things about His church. Alright, so it must begin with the understanding we are God's people. 我们是他的人, uh, his people. Now, we continue first, alright? Let's, let's establish um, the, the, the several technical things very clearly for ourselves. Now, who are in this invisible Catholic church? So, Catholic means universal, alright? Catholic means universal, all across. Um, who is in this Catholic or universal church? Let's look at the definition. Who? Okay, Shalin, who? Who are in this church? Okay, okay. All of God's people. But describe these people specifically. Because Israel was God's people, right? But there were some that were not His people. Because they didn't worship Him, they, they hated Him, they worship other gods. Right. So specifically, what people? Those that believe in Christ, alright? So read from, your, read from your notes. The Catholic Church is invisible. And it consists of? The whole number of elect. Alright, the whole number of elect. So, when we say universal church, we are talking about the elect only. Please remember, huh? when we say universal church, Alright, when we say universal church, we're talking about elect. And because it's universal, it's from all over. All over the world. And from when? From past. Huh? Right? From past. Just now we read. All that are in heaven. Means this are dead. Past, present. If you're a believer in Christ, you are part of this invisible church and future, those that are yet to be saved. Alright, so when we say universal church, it's specifically talking only about the elect. Okay, those that are saved, to be saved. Okay, the elect. Now, why is it called invisible? Phoebe, do you go to an invisible church? No, right? This is a church. I see it. Alright, so invisible church. Why is it called invisible? Because it's a gathering of people across the world. You don't, the elect don't go to one specific church. Wherever they are worshipping, they are part of this, this, they are part of this people of God. Okay, they're part of the people. So you have believers in Singapore, in India, in Japan. They are the elect people of God, they are part of what God calls the church. He gather all. Alright, so it's not a physical place people go to. It's a belonging to God. Okay, the invisible church. That's why it's called invisible. Alright, so now, so the invisible contains of the elect only. Um, okay, so now, is this the Roman Catholic Church? Mabel? This is a Roman Catholic Church. No. The Catholic Church. Alright, or the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is not the Roman Catholic Church. You're very, very sure. 
why so I say explain <laughs> but they call themselves Catholic you know they have different practice many churches have different practice from us too they have different beliefs right they have different beliefs they don't be now their, their teachings are contrary to the truth right so um, they are not this Catholic Church they're not this Catholic Church now but why do they call themselves Catholic Church do you know Howard do you know why it comes up with the Roman Catholic Church so it's people sounds like wow they're the universal church they say yeah we are the universal church so all please hurry up come back to us why are they called the Roman Catholic Church not sure anyone Sujin why how come they got this name Fiona <laughs> they think that they are the church so they call themselves the Catholic Church well the church has always been called the Catholic Church in a sense right they are the, we are the universal church everyone believes in truth now so to them let me ask you does it make sense the word Catholic means universal right but it's Roman yeah? Wait, it's universal but it's Roman <laughs> when they were fighting to be the the church they were fighting the east was fighting the west correct the popes were fighting so the roman pope won so they say now the roman catholic church to them yes they, they always want to refer themselves as the true church but they're not okay so so it's, it's by the name itself is already a misnomer all right so they're not they're catholic church whenever you say we say catholic church but you be careful when you read websites huh? sometimes they put catholic encyclopedia or catholic answers all right they don't want to use the roman now so they act they sound like the other true universal church all right so you be careful what you read but sometimes you read old writings you will hear people writers uh, referring to the word the catholic church then you have to read the context are they talking about roman catholic church are they talking about this universal body of believers okay so just to be very sure now let's move quickly eh? number three are the old testament people part of the universal church are they are they uh, Alex are they oh the Old Testament people are part of this universal church are uh, the true believers all right the true believers are all part okay so um, God would say that Abraham is part of his church right yes okay so now how do you know because the answer is what did god call his people in the wilderness i give you the answer right in acts chapter 7 verse 3 38 god called his old testament people the church they were in the wilderness but they were his church okay so the old testament saints are also part of this universal church now there are some writers famous writers they describe when Christ comes, when Christ comes to rapture his church, when Christ comes to rapture his church, when does Christ rapture his church? Anyone remember? Benedict. When does Christ come and rapture his church? When? I, I know the answer is we do not know when. But uh, 
<laughs> which, which period, alright? You cannot get away still. Which period? Before the tribulation, after the tribulation, before the tribulation. <laughs> okay, so before the seven years tribulation, Christ will come. Now, all elect true believers will be raptured, correct? Okay, so all will be raptured. Now, we are raptured, then there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Marriage supper of the Lamb. Who will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? The elect, correct? The elect. But there are famous writers who say at the marriage supper of the Lamb, only the New Testament believers will be part of this marriage supper. Okay, because we are the church. Because the marriage supper is with the church, right? The, the bride of Christ, right? But the Old Testament people, they will be only guests. So when you read that, uh, you, you must catch very quickly. When they say, oh, the, they will be guests and we will be present and we will be the bride of Christ, the church. Because to them, church is only New Testament. But we just read, Old Testament, God called them church, right? So God says, my church, my universal church will be, is my bride, will be at the marriage supper. So the Old Testament saints are not guests. They will also be part of the marriage supper. All right? So you must be aware of that. So there are all these kind of teachings, and they call themselves reform. They will talk about election and all that, but when it comes to the Old Testament, to them, it's still, or oh, they're just guests. They are not part of this universal church of the New Testament. But it's universal. Universal means across time, across space, not just New Testament. Okay, so now, um, so let, I just want to be very clear about all these things now. Um, some of these things, so we, we studied the first part. Huh? We studied the church universal is the body of elect across the world since, if, since the beginning, all right? Since the beginning, not just New Testament, since the beginning. Um, now, I'll ask the next question. Here. Now, Christ, here he said, um, the fullness of him that filleth all. Now, earlier on, um, Christ being the head. Okay, so we read in point number one, gathered into one under Christ, the head. Okay, Christ the head. Um, I think there are many verses that makes it very clear Christ is the head. Now, but I ask you, when we say Christ is the head, what does it really mean? What does it imply? So we always say Christ is the head, Christ is the head. We are God's people, Christ is the head of these people. Christ is the head of the church, Christ is the head of BPCWA, Christ is the head of the universal church. We always say head, 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 very easy to say. But how should we think every time we think Christ is the head of the church? What does it imply? Do you understand my question? What does it imply? Now, why am I covering all this? Uh, it's because I think Christians have, have lost our understanding of church. We come to church all the time. We, don't, we are not thinking of church rightly. We don't understand our relationship to church. And when we say Christ is the head of church, neither do we know how to behave in a church where Christ is the head. Okay? So, when studying the church, we must understand that. So, when we say Christ is the head, what does it imply? Kaziah, what does it imply? The Bible keeps saying Christ is the head of the church. What does it imply? What will come to your mind when you say Christ is the head? 
Okay, the church belongs to God. Okay, he's the head, the church belongs to God. That is correct. Now let us turn to Ephesians chapter 1. First, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Now Ephesians is a book that's very much a good place to study about the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Okay, now let us read together. Far, uh, 20, 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things, to be the church, uh, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So Kazai is exactly right. When we think about the church and we think of Christ as the head, this is what God means when God says, I make Christ the head. Look at verse 22. I make Christ the head means I put all things. Now this is more than just the church. Huh? This is everything in the universe. Definitely all things in the church. All things under his feet. When I say, um, when I say to Ben, Ben Khan, I put all things under your feet. What do I mean? Everything listens to you, okay? Or everything belongs to you, right? Everything is, is under you. It's yours. That's why people must listen to you, right? So, it's, so both, both all things under his feet is not for Christ to walk. The implication is all things now belongs to him and is supposed to um, obey him, alright? So all things under his feet. That's why he says, when I put all things, verse 22, when I put all things under Christ, and then he emphasized and gave him to be head, is given to Christ. Everything is given under him and gave him to be what? Head over all things to the church. So when the first thing, you're right, the first thing that I must think of, what it implies Christ is the head, means everything belongs to Christ and everything must be in obedience to Christ. Okay? So head over the church. What else? What else do you think of? Anyone? Pay. Let me say the church. And when we think about Christ, all things under Christ, what would you think of? He represents us to God. Okay, that's, that would be another lesson. But here he's talking about his superiority, alright? He will have all what? Do you remember? He will have all. What's that word? It starts with P. Okay, let's, let's look at scriptures. Let's turn to Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18. Now, all this theory must translate to practice. Eh? Colossians 1.18, shall we read together? And he is the head of the body, the church, very specific, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Right, the preeminence. Not only all things belong to Christ, all things must follow must obey him but he must have all the preeminence as the head of the church head of the body all right so christ must have preeminence all right so 
maybe just these two concepts. There will be many others, but let's just focus on these two. Christ is the head. What does it imply? All things belong to him. And he must have all preeminence. Okay? So now, I ask you, question number four. We, we understand this concept now. How should this impact our response and service in God's church, BBCWA? How? How should it impact your responses, how you respond in church, how we work in church, what we do in church? That's what I mean. Okay. Um, uh, Vincent, how should this impact you choose? What, what, whichever you want to answer. How should it impact understanding Christ is the head? It means all things belong to him, all must obey him, and he must have preeminence. You know it's preeminence? You don't know means you cannot answer. You're very smart. Okay, what's the word preeminence? What's the meaning of preeminence? Uh, Adrian. 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 Preeminence. What does it mean? Chinese, Chinese checking, Chinese dictionary. Uh, Jason. First. Alright. He must be the one that is given first priority. He must be the one that is seen as. Um, the most important, okay? Preeminence, the most important. He is all that matters, okay? Let's say preeminence. He is all that matters, okay? So we just explained to you, Vincent. Now, you answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right? So he is, all things belong to him. He have the preeminence. He must have the preeminence in all things. He must be the most important. He is all that matters. He must take top position. He must take top attention from us. Okay, all our attention is on him. Okay? Alright, so our attention is not on anyone else about him, but him. So have you understood that? How should it change you in thinking how should we do things in church? How should you serve when you're serving? What must be on your mind when you're serving? When something needs to be done, what should be your response? Number one, because he is the head, therefore all decision we must consult him, correct? Right? You work in a company is the same, right? Decisions consult who? Consult the head. Alright, very good. So that is the one thing we must remember. So how do you consult Christ? Uh, Douglas, how do you consult Christ who is not with us anymore? He's in heaven. By consulting his word, right? He gave us the Bible and he said, everything that you need to know, I left behind. You have it. Okay? You have it. So by consulting his word. Not by sitting there and dreaming and hoping for visions. Christ, what do you want us to do? It's by consulting his word. So he said we must consult his word. So when it comes to appointing leaders, hmm, what should we do? Colin, what should we do when appointing leaders? Consult Christ, right? Say again. Look at the word. So, when it comes to appointing elders, our pastors, elders, deacons, church leaders, and so on, which chapter will you go to in the Bible? Titus. Titus easier because no first Titus, second Titus, right? Titus, chapter one. Alright, Titus chapter 1. Very simple. What, 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 what else? Where else? 
Alex, where? First Timothy, very good. Chapter 3, very good. So whenever we say we want to appoint leaders, once we think Christ is the head, then we must use his hiring criteria, right, so to speak, his criteria. It is not this man speaks very well. This man is very intelligent. He is very successful in the world, so he must be good, right? He should be able to organize and run the church very well because he runs companies. It is not he is a very famous teacher in school, so he must be able to teach God's word very well. All these are not the criteria. When you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, they are very strong spiritual criteria, understand? And there are also clear instructions about, about what they should be. Now, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. You have all the criteria there. Okay, so we must always measure against these characteristics, which are all spiritual. Now, the other day I was having a conversation with uh, someone, and this person says, can I go to a church that have women pastors and women elders? Right? So I said, um, no. And she said, but you know, this church, the female pastor can preach very, very well. In fact, the female pastor preached much better than the men. My favorite, when I listen, she's really very good, all right? And I also noticed that they have female elders. Um, the pastor's wife is the, is the elder, <laughs> right? So I say, well, who is the head of the church? Christ. Then we have to, all things under Christ, right? So what Christ dictated, we follow, correct? So I say in the Bible, pastors and elders, these two words, never occur in feminine. It's very specific, it's male. Okay, public leadership in terms of prayer. Also, the Bible specifically used the word male. Okay, right? So women, if you're hearing for this for the first time, please don't get upset at me. If you want to get upset, get upset at the head of the church, under whose all things, is dictated by him. He chose the word male. Male, I would that all male, all right? I would that all male pray in public, uh, lift up holy hands in public. So, so now, when it comes to elders and pastors, that is what the head dictate. Most of the time, churches have women pastors because they say, but they preach better than the men. They are they organized better than the men. Let's have women pastors. Right now, when we don't sink into our hearts the meaning of hate, then we'll do anything we want in church. Okay, so we must remember that. So when the church wants to do things right, it is not because we are being difficult, we are simply saying, hate, we are just looking at you, your instructions are here, we follow. That's it. Alright? Now next. Um, what about Preeminence, preeminence. In terms of, so Christ must have all the preeminence. Who have an I call? Uh, okay, Iwa. When we say Christ has all the preeminence, so when we serve, what should we be, how should we serve? 
Say again. What I do affects other people, is it? Yeah. Okay, what we do, okay, those will come later. But in terms of preeminence, what comes to your mind? Mabel. Christ must have, Christ, we read, right, that uh, he is the firstborn from the dead. You know, he is the head of the body, the church. And in all things, he might have the preeminence. So God said the church head must have all preeminence. So how should it impact the way people serve? Whatever we're doing is for the head. Elaborate a bit more. Related to preeminence. If we do what the head wants us to do is he owns all things. That's why we do what he wants us to do. Preeminence. Um, Fiona. Christ, is, Christ must have all the preeminence. He's the head of the church. How should it affect the way we serve? Okay, I put the other way. If you say, okay, Colin must have all the preeminence at home. When you do things, what would you think of? Think of what he wants, right? Preeminence means he is all that matters, understand? He's all that matters. It doesn't matter what I want, you want, other people want, the world wants. All that matters is the preeminent one, what he wants, right? So it is not, let us now go and um, um, promote the social gospel, save the world, turn, uh, uh, help inequality and all those kind of things now those are real problems but god says that is not what i focus on in my kingdom my kingdom is spiritual right it is not what we want but the church today feel that this is what we want this is what will make a difference to the world but christ said that is not what i want what i want is that people come to know the true gospel all right it is not the social gospel so preeminence do what he wants what else Sing Yun, Sing Yun, Sing Yun is there. Sing Yun. When we say Christ must have all the preeminence, we think Christ is the head. How should we think when you're serving or when you do anything? Serve as God as the top priority. Yeah, very similar to what He wants. His priority. Okay. Um, yes, Phyllis. We must be very afraid of not of so that we don't do anything that offends the preeminent one. Yes, um, very much. Yes, he's the preeminent. We don't want him. We don't want to offend him. He's the most important. Okay. What else? In other words, we please Him only, alright? We, we only want to please Him. That's why the church is not here to please the world. But churches today exist to please the world. You don't like to wear short, you don't like to wear uh, trousers and shirt to church. Wear, wear t-shirt, wear tank top, wear anything you want. Do anything you want. You come, you, you don't like to sit down and stand up to worship. When we stand, you can sit, it's alright. It doesn't matter what God 
will be offended or not, you just do what you want, right? right? Because the understanding of headship is is gone. And so I take some time on this. Why do you think when I say let's worship God, I talk about uh, the people in the cry room? Is it because I get irritated? I don't. I want you to know I do not. I do not. I'm very happy you're here, but my concern is when you don't understand the preeminence of Christ's headship, He is the preeminent one. We will come irreverently. It is between you and your God. Understand that? I know it's not easy, but once you understand, you will do what is needed. Right? Because sometimes people think that I am trying to control what they do. No, I'm just telling you this is the preeminent one. You just think of what you're doing. All right? Now after that, I leave it to you. It's up to you. You want to go to work and, and insult your boss? I also tell you you should not, but you want, it's up to you. Your consequences is on you. All right? So the pre, think of him as the preeminent one. What else? He must be the one. Uh, yeah. Okay. Last one. Um, where have I got? Okay, uh, Hannah, what else would you think of? The preeminent one when we serve means what should come to our mind? Very good. He must have all the glory. Understand? The preeminent one. He must have all the glory. So in church, everything that we do, is this what you want, Christ? Is this how you want it done, Christ? And all glory must be to Him. In other words, we don't draw attention to ourselves. Understand that? When we draw attention to ourselves in church, when we serve means we want glory. Understand that? So the concept of preeminence is very important. We must always ensure that... Oh, okay, very easier. Give, must make sure that God has all the glory. Who else has God? Ah, uh, Cheryl. So what does it mean? When we serve, must, must make sure God has all the glory. What does it mean? Give an example. You serve in the way that Lord wants you to... Yeah, obedience is glory to Him. Okay, maybe I put it the other way. How can anyone serve in the end and look like uh, it's not serving for God's glory? Husband can help. Okay. <laughs> don't draw attention to yourself. I said that already. Eh? Right? So don't draw attention to yourself. So that is one. We always ask. When we do things, just always check our heart. Sometimes you have to take leadership role. Sometimes you are doing something that will be in you will be the one that people will be looking at. Alright? Typically like the preacher, the chairman, um, the the musician, alright? All of those in those positions must be very cautious. Do not draw attention to ourselves, do not draw glory to ourselves. Okay? Um, um, that's why I emphasize so much on the way we play the piano. You go to most churches, it's as flowery as possible. I think when they come here, they find us very boring. Why don't you change like that? Uh? You know, my church have all sorts of, you know. Then people get very distracted from the words, right? We covered that. Then they just very dis- very attracted to the pianist. Ah, yeah, this week, this person play very boring. Wow, this week, this is the exciting one. Then we have just drawn attention to ourselves. If you're excited that, I like this pianist. This pianist, when he or she plays, it really helps me to sing the words and think of God. I don't get distracted. Understand? Then we have not drawn glory to ourselves. Kitchen ministry also, right? 
who cook the best, I don't know what, what's the best? The best chicken rice. Who? Who, Ben? Don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know, it means good. Understand that? <laughs> means whoever cooks the best chicken rice have achieved not drawing attention to myself. I tell you honestly, so far I'm very thankful our kitchen ministry does not give me problems. I heard of the problems in the past. I've seen problems in other churches. It's one ministry which, where you go into the kitchen, it's like third world war zone, all right? Everybody's trying to, to, to make themselves as prominent as possible. After that, make sure that everyone knows I'm the best chicken rice cooker. No, wrong. I'm the best chicken rice maker. I don't know. Alright? So, yeah, good that you don't know. But do you have eaten good chicken rice in church? The best, right? Right, nah, so example. So same. Anything that we do, people are drawn to Christ, understand? They're drawn to Christ. Hey, we're so thankful. Uh. Wow, you know, in this church, got good food. In this church, the pianists play like that, we won't get distracted. In messages, we, are, we know Christ better after that. Huh? It, I hope I don't make you know my personal life better. All I'm interested in is you know Christ better. You know what color I like? Don't know, right? You know what food I like? Oh no, you know. <laughs> but I just use that illustration. I haven't eaten suyo for months, alright? Maybe even a year. I just use that illustration. It's not my favorite. Now, so, so we always draw, like Sunday school teacher when teach, always help them to understand the moment the church people know Christ more, want to love Him more, we have now pointed them to the preeminent. He's the most important. You don't like me, it doesn't matter to me. All I care is you love Christ more. That is all that matters. And in the beginning, you may hate what I tell you, but I know over time, when you understand, you will love Christ more. But if I'm here to make you like me, I won't say a lot of things that I've been saying. Understand that? So we try to point all men to Christ, not draw attention to ourselves. This is the meaning Christ is the head of the church. Okay? So understand that. Um, when we serve and all, think very carefully. Now, next one. Um, what metaphors do God use for His church? Alright? What metaphors do God use for His church in the Bible? Yes, sorry. Uh, which question? Uh, question number four. Question number four. What does Christ... Christ is the head of the universal church. So if the service is not restricted to only in BPCWA? Um, the service is not restricted to BPCWA? Including our personal life? Yes, correct. Um, no, not really. This is specifically covering church. Also, in our personal life, at work, I, I make sure when I serve, I give glory to God. That is part of the chief end of men. But specifically in church, specifically, we are talking about inside church, inside the local church. All right? So I'm referring more to the, especially the local church. Later, when we st study local church, the local church is part of the universal church. All right? But we are studying about church. So we are talking about in church. But outside, yes, the same. Outside, yes, the same. Um, we give all. Chief end of man is to glorify God. But when we talk about Christ is the head, this is what it means. We do all things for His glory. Okay? So when you organize things and all that, please do not try to outdo each other. That is the problem in churches. You know what, what happens in churches when problems start? Because people try to outdo each other. 
because they want glory, then they outdo. You do like that, I'll do more. You do more, I'll do more, 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 more. You know, and then a lot of fights will occur. Um, so, as long as Christ is the head, He gets the glory. That's all I care about. People don't know. It's okay. It doesn't matter, because Christ got the glory. Okay. So now, what metaphors do God use? Now let's look at Ephesians chapter five. How does God describe His church? Now, this is very important again. Then we will begin to understand the people part. Huh? Um, okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's choose a verse. Now, what... Um, I changed Bible and every position is gone. Alright, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, let's look at verse... Um, 25, sorry, 20, uh, 23. All right, let's read together. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. All right, let's read again. I ask you the two metaphors in here. Tell me what they are. When God talks about his church, he refers to it as these two metaphors. metaphors. Let's read again. For Christ, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even Christ is the head of the church. And he is the saviour of the body. What are the two metaphors? Uh, who else have a I call? Oh, Valerie. What are the two metaphors? Wife is one. Right? The wife. In Ephesians, the bride. Okay? The bride. The wife. What is the other? Uh, Valerie still? The body. Very good. The body. The two metaphors, when Christ talks about the church, he, refers, he uses wife or the bride and the body. In fact, you turn to chapter 1. Chapter 1. Now look at verse 23. Uh, so, sorry, verse 22. Now 22 says he is the head over all things to the church. And what is the church? The church is explained in verse 23, which is his body. Alright, his body. So now, this is the church. Mm, not good. The church. The church, alright? So one is the body. The other is the bride, the wife. Okay? So, when God uses metaphors, means He wants us to think of how to relate, right? What do you use metaphors? You use metaphors to describe something, right? So that people can relate. Alright, so now when God talks about the church, He refers it to these two. So, when the, the bride and the body, the same thing. The bride and the body is what? The church. Okay, the bride. When God says the bride, he's thinking of the church. When God says the body, he's thinking of the body. But both have his own characteristics for us to think about when we say Christ is the head of the church. Okay, so now body. Body. Now what comes to... So you look at your questions here. Question number six. Describe what each metaphor should remind us of as Christ's church. So the body is Christ's church, right? So body. What else? What do you think about body? Should I give some verses there? No time. Let's go to verses. Um, the body. Ephesians 4, 2 to 6. 
Turn to Ephesians. A lot of verses from Ephesians about church. Ephesians 4. Now. Um, 2 to 6. No time to read. You eyeball. You eyeball. Huh? Ephesians 4. 2 to 6. If you eyeball it, you tell me what is the one of the things is focusing on. What is the key verse? Who else have an eye? Leah? Verse 4, correct. Verse 4. About one body, one spirit, called into one hope of your calling. It's again the calling. The calling of God's people, the called out ones. It's about oneness. Alright, so you talk about unity. Right? So when we think of church, we must think of unity. Okay? Now, what else? Let's go to um, verses 12 and Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. What else do we think about? Okay, eyeball and then tell me. Uh, Shirlin. Verse 13 is about unity. Verse 12. Very good. What do you do to the body? What do you do to body? You build up. Alright, so when we talk about ch church, we must think of unity. We must think of building up. Okay, building up the body. You must build up the body. Understand that? You are God's people. You are here to build the body. Bodybuilding. Oh, that's a good one. Right? So from now onwards, we are called bodybuilders. Yeah? <laughs> Building the body of Christ. Now, okay, next one, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. You eyeball then, you tell me what is focusing. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 20. Actually, I give you the hint. I gave you too long a passage. I give you the hint. You read from verse 15 to 20. Oh, too easy. All right. Too easy. Colin? Say again. Should be kept holy, pure and holy, correct? Or that's holy, right? Holy. Very clear. You say you are the body of, the, you are the temple of God. So there already he gives you the, the concept. And it says, you're members of this body, right? Verse 15, no, you're not. Your bodies are the members of Christ, right? We make up Christ's body. And we must make sure of holiness. So your personal walk. Listen carefully. You are members of this body. You're members of this body. Your personal walk affects the body of Christ. Don't think that my walk is my personal life. You are members of Christ's body. Your life affects the body of Christ. Do not take this lightly.
please remember you are God's people. God always deals with his people collectively. Do you understand what I'm saying? When, wherever I ask you, uh, Mabel, who did not want to obey um, Moses in going into the promised land? Put it the other way. Who would obey? There were some that obeyed, right? But there are many that did not obey, right? Did everyone end up in the wilderness, including name one who wanted to obey? Joshua, right? Did Joshua also end up in the wilderness? Did Moses also end up in the wilderness? God deals with his people collectively. You must understand that concept. If you and your family live disobedient lives and choose to be disobedient, there is impact to others. Okay, so which one of you live like that? Which one of you live like this is all right, so you're, 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 in, you're in your own real blood family, right? In your own real blood family. Which one of you think, all right? Hey, Sing Yuan is here also. Sing Yuan. Would you, you are part of your family, right? Would Sing Yuan think, I go and take drugs, I go and um, steal and rob people and kill people? It's my personal life, ah. it doesn't affect my family, Anna. Do you think like that? You have to think, ah. Wait, do you th- would you think like that? Do you understand the question? Yeah, would you think that it doesn't matter, this is my personal life. It doesn't affect my family. Does it affect your family? It does affect your family. Understand that. And when God deals with you, when, when the law deals with you, does it affect other people in your family? It affects. So we, we must understand the concept of people and family. Every time I'm tempted to sin, I think of you all. I should think of Christ, definitely. But I think if I sin and God should deal with me, it will impact me feeding you and you will be hungry, correct? Because I understand, I sin, there's impact to you. You sin, there's impact to your brothers and sisters around you. Another family will learn your sin. Another family will... And the effect goes on. That's why you're called bodybuilders, each one of us. Okay, so understand this concept of body and sin and here God uh, here Paul dealt with the church as a whole now next um, let's turn to Romans 12 Romans 12 Romans 12 3 to 5 okay what would you say it is about Romans 12 3 to 5 Jason? Uh, Jason, any ideas? Okay, let's turn to a related one. Maybe the hint will be clear. First Corinthians twelve. First Corinthians twelve. 
and uh, verses 26 to 27. Oh, yeah, so, so easy already. All right, 23, those are members of the body. So we are members of the body, 26 and 27. So Jason, what do you think this is about? Inter? Inter? No idea. No? Uh, Kazaya? Very good. We are interdependent. We are interdependent. This whole passage is about saying the hand cannot say is independent of the other part of the body. Alright? Not only they don't fight for glory, but you cannot do without each part. You're interdependent. So when you talk about church, Christ uses the word metaphor, body, right? And many passages we read, he keeps talking about body, members in the body, different parts of the body, correct? He used metaphor to help us to think about church. Think, think about church. So we are interdependent. We must support one another. We must help one another. We must be interested in one another. You cannot turn up in church, I'm here to learn God's word. Good. But I'm, you cannot say, I'm here to learn God's word only. I'm not interested in anyone. That's a wrong concept of church. I had that concept of church for a long time as a Christian. I just thought, the most important thing about, most important thing about church is learning God's word, right? And then I attend a church who do not teach God's word. <laughs> but I say, never mind, you know. But then, as you study God's word, you realize God says, every part of the body is interdependent. We cannot say, I'm only interested in growing spiritually myself. Church is about a people, not just you. I'll ask you a question further afterwards. Okay, actually, now I'll ask you question number eight. Let's answer question number eight. Seven and eight is together. Now, how would you respond to those who say, the church is not loving, not caring, not active? Very common. Every church I go to, there will be people who say this. All right, this church is not loving. This church is not active. This church is um, not caring. How do you answer that? Benedict, you're from another church. <laughs> right? Benedict has not said this, huh? So I'm not picking on him. Your dad tells me what you say. <laughs> so, what, what would you say to someone and say, Ah, yeah, our church not loving, not caring. Now that you've learned this is about, this is the body. How would you encourage the other person when the person has this attitude? Everyone has a part to play. Alright? Church is not about you. Now, look at all this here. There's only one that is really about you, in a sense. But it's, it's actually the church must be holy. You keep yourself holy. That's your duty, my duty. Right? The rest, unity is about me contributing to unity. Building up is about me helping another one to grow. That's the mere edification. Interdependent is me caring for another, helping another. Church is not about me. We are a people. Do you get upset at family members that come back and think that family is about all the family is about is about him or her only? Right? There are family members who are like that, right? Everything is about you. 
cause a lot of problems in the home. Always unhappy with the home. We are family. In fact, in fact, um, that is, I think, maybe next week. Yeah. Now we focus on this. All right. So we are here to contribute to the body to build it up, to help another be built up so that the body is strong, to be holy so that I don't affect other people's life. All right? To not disrupt the, the unity of the church. Now, quickly, last one. So the next one is bride. All right? So God says, I'm the Christ body, body, body. He's wanting us to think of all this from his word. Bride, what do you think of bride? Us wives. We are the wives. Uh, Sarah. All right? So for bride, for the wife, what characteristic comes to your mind? When God says, the church is my bride. So then we, how should we think of church? I'm church. I'm BPCWA forms the bride of Christ. What should we think about? You can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Very famous chapter, right? First one. What is the thing that you think about when in your, your relationship to your husband? A biblical relationship is wives submit, right? So obedience, right? In fact, this word submit is military obedience. Okay, it is the word used for the military people. It means is to a higher authority, um, subject to them, honoring, obeying the commands okay so obedience what else what else so Ephesians 5 23 and 24 is uh, 22 to 24 is very clear maybe outside here wives bright be pure right be pure be loyal, be faithful. All these examples of what a wife would be, hmm? chaste or pure. Right? So all these words. So when God says, God doesn't want to say simply, you are my people. When he says, you are my people, you are my church. He says, how do I best make you think of how to respond? All right, I use body, I use bride, I use wife. All these things will come to our mind. So then you go to question number seven. All right. How should each metaphor change your behavior, your responsibility from now onwards? Very simple. When, okay, so now it's all here. Then we draw in the middle. Now you come to church. Okay, Jason, now with this, you come to church. What would your response be to church when you hear messages? What should be your contribution to church or behavior in church? When you look at all these things up here, give an example, practical example. Say again. Subordinate, all right. Subordinate. In what areas, for example? 
in service okay so service right um Jung, anything don't disrupt unity don't cause this, this my handwriting is terrible no it's the pen disunity don't cause disunity every time we want to take glory to ourselves we want to do things for ourselves yeah christ having the preeminence means whatever we do is for him not to benefit me and my family understand that okay so don't i know you can't beat i know cause disunity whether it's in doctrines whether it's in interpersonal relationship what else anyone else um, grace when you look at this defend the truth how where would you link that one to defend truth which one under submission i think it's about purity purity of doctrines right purity we must defend we want the church to be pure and of course it's all too um yeah what else so forget forgot to vote preeminence preeminence all right preeminence what else will you think of support each other spiritually support each other spiritually to support each other spiritually you must know each other you must bother to know each other now once i put all this together once i put all this together now this is where i have to try and summarize use this color okay we are people all right people of the living god we are when we say people there is this sense of belonging understand that so when i ask you the example of the jews what are the jews well known for anyone no no one say again culture what about the culture never change um identity right so we use some words identity they have a very strong sense of identity wherever you go you meet them in any country if they meet another jew they have a very strong um, um, attraction to one another to care for one another protect one another um, take care of one another and every strong sense of national identity all right so people there are many races that are like that can you name some of them okay don't don't, don't name races all right so so different races all right some you can see they are very strong wherever you go they they will they will they will come together in a community they will care for one another they will own people literally there's this concept so when god says you're my people that is when you look at church we are kakilang. we we must care for each other we must have a sense of protection and concern and affinity to each other 
In other words, what I'm trying to say, when God says you are my people and this is church, we cannot live isolated lives. Change that concept in your thinking and my thinking. We are supposed to be very interrelated. Okay, so that is something that we must understand. God bring you to this church. We didn't reach local church here. Yeah, God bring you to this church. Part of this church is like that. It's like that. Okay, so uh, that's one, one concept. What else about people that comes to your mind? Anyone else? Anyone? Howard? Joyful. Um, in a sense, yeah, you, we, we are always very, we, we, are, we are pleased to be together. Alright, so we, we enjoy being together. We enjoy being, you enjoy being with family? I hope so. Now, one thing that is about this care about the future of each other. You care about the future you care about the future of the other person or us as a people do you know that many races or culture they work very hard to prevent themselves from becoming extinct right you understand what i'm saying they make sure that there will be surviving um, generations that's why when God talks about, about you and your generation, you and your generation, you and your generation, you know that our older generation, they're very, they're very hung up on that. Make sure that their line goes down, right? Make sure their seat goes down. Make sure children get married and have, have children and have children. And then names also, they will carefully select to, re, to reflect their ancestry and all that. Huh? Like my cousins, they all has, I think, C-H-E-W. Okay, so you see another P-O-O-N with C-H-E-W, likely is my relative, I think. Right? My father had you know, 12 or 13 brothers and sisters. And all, I don't know how to find a combination. Right? P-O-O-N and C-H-E-W. Then the last one changed. So there's very strong, in many cultures they have this. Actually, it's a stemming from a concept of people. We lost that. You know, I give you an example. And this always said about the Jews, for example. You tell a Jew... I can help you make a million dollars. They say, yes, I'm interested. Then they work. But, I say, but if you tell them, I'm, I will tell you how to make five million dollars for your future generation, they will immediately be very interested. They immediately sit down and say, what, what should we do? Even if it means they have to invest for the future generation, they will do it. They're known to be like that. Very strong desire to, and they will even sacrifice what they have now to make sure that the future generation will benefit. Our parents are like that, if you think about it. They're willing to send you, they're willing to um, eat very little, work double jobs to give you an education overseas, to help you have a good life, and want to see your children have a good life. But they themselves will suffer anything. Understand? That is the concept of a people. 
we therefore as people when you look at all this we must whatever we do even if it means is to our loss we are concerned about what will be for Elisha for yes, Phoebe for Phoebe for Justin for um, Caleb Cornelius whoever and the one in Fiona's stomach <laughs> all right so we, we must be when God says my people and he will tell Abraham your future generation and he's told Abraham I know him he will lead his family after me God taught the people and the people understood what is church church is God's called out people stop thinking of ourselves as discrete individuals and individual families we are a collective called out people and we are his body we are his bride and all these characteristics come in then you begin to change your concept of church next week the next time we come back we must finish this and we will talk about another aspect when God says my church my people what does he call it then when we put all this together then you ask yourself is my life having understood what God's church is is my life the right life that is why we study about church Alright, so I hope at least for today's lesson you will not go back thinking that I'm just going to come and disappear. There is a very strong concept of the people of God. That is the church today. Let's pray.